Hello and welcome to A Murderous Affair, the podcast where we talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder. My name is Gabrielle and did anybody else wake up today with the restriction of human rights and suddenly we're time traveling back into the 1970s with their apocalypse bingo? I am horrified but not surprised to quote one of the women we'll be talking about today, Heather Booth. This week's episode has changed completely because of what's going on in the world today. So today is June 24th, and originally I was going to upload an episode completely different from the one we're going to talk about today, but with the recent repeal of Roe v. Wade, I feel like it's important to look into the United States history, at least when it comes to abortion and when it comes to the women before us who have fought against restrictions of abortion. So the topic has completely changed, which is why this episode's coming out a little bit later than I normally would like to put it out on Fridays. I wanted to talk about some women who were involved in something called the Jane Collective, and the Jane Collective was a group of women who advocated for abortion access, abortion rights, as well as providing healthcare services to those who may not be able to afford it or have access to it. So uh, HBO actually just released a documentary, which I have not had a chance to watch yet, but I really want to because it looks really good. I actually found out about the Jane Collective when I was looking up like the history of abortion and Roe v. Wade and decided that I wanted to make them the topic of this week's podcast episode and then realized that there was a 2022 HBO documentary that just released about the Jane Collective on like June 6th or something like that. So that's my next uh, step is to watch the movie, but I also recommend that if this podcast doesn't cover enough information, if you want to learn more, definitely check that out because it looks like it has a lot of interviews with the women who are running things in the Jane Collective as well as those who uh, got services from the Jane Collective, received healthcare from them. And so yeah, so I kind of wanted to just, I don't know, go and look for inspiration in our past with women who have helped other women. Let's go and pay respect to the women of our past and kind of look to them for how we're going to approach the future. Let's talk about the Jane Collective today, who they were as well as what they did. This information is just going to come from Wikipedia. Um, I also am going to be trying to just insert more information from other sources as well, but like I said, this was kind of a last-minute decision to cover the Jane Collective for this episode, so Wikipedia is just kind of like the main source of inspiration and information. The Jane Collective was known by many names. Um, It was known as Jane, but the official name was the Abortion Counseling Service of Women's Liberation, and it was an underground service in Chicago, Illinois, that was kind of a part of the chapter of Chicago's Women Liberation Union. It operated from 1969 to 1973 when abortion was illegal in most of the United States. Kind of the leader of the foundation was Heather Booth, who really started paying attention to the abortion movement and women's rights when she found out that her friend's sister was pregnant and didn't want the baby, and Heather Booth actually helped her friend's sister obtain a safe abortion. Word of mouth spread, and she was contacted that multiple times to be put into contact with different doctors who would provide these safe abortions and then eventually the workload became too much and Booth reached out to other activists who were able to kind of help her disperse and uh, find not only resources like physicians and providers but also provide basically a safer and more affordable access. So that's just kind of like the general concept of the Jane Collective. So now we're going to go ahead and just go into like the origins, how it worked, all that kind of stuff. Let's go back into history a little bit. By the mid 1800s, abortion was illegal in every U.S. state. Um, And Illinois, where the Jane Collective was formed, abortion was considered a felony homicide. 
Um, but in the 1960s, it was estimated that a third of women in the United States who wanted no more children would have at least one unintended pregnancy, and that about between 200,000 and 1.2 million illegal abortions occurred annually. 17% of all deaths were attributed to childbirth and pregnancy in 1965, and it was uh, kind of insinuated that this was in part of the result of these illegal abortion proceedings. Low-income women had relatively high rates of obtaining illegal abortions, at least 8% of those in New York City, with the majority attempting a self-induced abortion and only 2% involving physicians. Nationwide, the abortion mortality rate for non-white women was 12 times higher than that of white women from 1972 to 1974. This is so ridiculous. It's just, like, I'm trying to, like, remain calm and be like, okay, like this is just our history and we're reliving that we're just we're living history here but it's just it makes me so angry that something that lessened the death of people has now been considered illegal and the fact that it's considered okay to put this ban on women's rights like it really is absolutely ridiculous and I cannot believe that this is currently the day and age that we are living in but anyway like Moving on, <laughs> putting my rage aside for a moment. In 1965, University of Chicago student Heather Booth learned that her friend's sister had an unwanted pregnancy, which left her distraught and nearly suicidal. Her exposure to this experience led her to consider abortion restrictions as unjust laws, and she's quoted as saying, quote, in the face of an unjust law, you need to take action to challenge it. Looking for help for her friend's sister, Booth ended up contacting the Medical Committee for Human Rights, who connected her with civil rights leader Anne surgeon T.R.M. Howard. Now, Howard worked at the Friendship Medical Center in Chicago, and Booth was able to send her friend to this facility. Once this happened, word began spreading that Booth was able to help women obtain safe abortions, and she began, she began receiving calls from other women. Because this was still illegal, and this was a felony at the time, uh, Booth operated under the pseudonym Jane. She began taking phone calls at her college dorm and referring more clients to Howard, who would perform pr abortions for $500. Eventually, she would switch to uh, referring women to an abortionist called either Mike or Nick, and I don't know if his real name is known at all. Um, that was just the pseudonym that they went by. She would refer an average of one patient per week, mostly low-income women and women of color, until 1968 when she was out of college, married, and impregnant. Since she was now extremely busy and didn't have enough time, she recruited and, and trained 10 other women to help her. She eventually transferred her role, like her leadership role, to Ruth Sergal and Jody Parsons. And this was when they adopted the name the Abortion Counseling Services service of women's liberation which proclaimed that they were quote every woman having exactly as many children as she wants when she wants if she wants but because this was such a long name they instructed that women who called should ask for jane which they chose because they considered it quote the every woman name the jane collective services spread through word of mouth and they also reached women through posting signs in the city that read pregnant don't want to be call jane and listing the phone number they would also place ads in underground newspapers saying pregnant, worried, call Jane. So the number would then, once they called the number, it would direct a caller to an answering machine where they were instructed to leave their name, phone number, and date of their last period. Um, they would then be contacted by a member of the collective who would schedule a meeting to discuss what would happen. What was really annoying for many of the members in the Jane Collective was that they would have patients referred to them by medical professionals, which was annoying to them because the doctors were almost always unwilling to 
provide any assistance. Now, if the woman then proceeded, decided to proceed with the abortion, she was given the address of something called the front. The front was the code name for one of the many apartments that the collective rented throughout the city. Before the abortion happened, the patient and a member of Jane would meet at the front where the patient would then be driven to a second location to undergo the abortion. This is like mission impossible, undercover, absolutely ridiculous, but good to know because I feel like this is something that's going to be once again happening again. One of the members, Jenny, and she had been previously diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma while she was pregnant and she was refused an abortion because she was terrified that if she went through the treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma, it would negatively affect the baby and eventually ended up going to not one, but two or three different psychiatrists saying that if she did not get an abortion, she was going to kill herself. And that was when she was finally given permission to get an abortion. So Jenny was one of the members and she eventually began demanding to be in the room with patients while the procedure was being performed because she wanted to make sure that the women were being treated well. She had been treated by men at the hospital and she was livid at how her health was managed saying that, quote, throughout that whole experience, there wasn't one woman involved. It was men, the doctors, the hospital board, controlling my reproductive rights and condemning me to death. So Jenny eventually learned about providing abortions by watching the abortionist Nick, who eventually trained her to be their nurse. Now, members of the collective used fundraising to help cover the costs of the procedure for those who couldn't afford it. Most of the clients, like I said, were generally low income. Even after guaranteeing abortionists up to 10 clients per week, per abortion cost remained $500. In 1971, the collective discovered that this Nick abortionist was actually not a doctor that he had claimed, and this caused extreme emotional duress for members of the collective who insisted that using an abortionist with fake credentials made them, quote, just like the back alleys and that they should shut down the organization. Up to half of the group's members left after learning that their abortionist was not an actual doctor, half stayed and the Jane Collective continued because, in their eyes, he was performing to 20 abortions a day with skill, and other members realized, quote, if he can do it, then we can do it too. So, in this case, Jenny and other members were able to learn the procedure and perform these surgical abortions, but it remained a limited skill, with only about four members officially trained. Now, since the members took over performing these abortions, it enabled them to drop the price from five to $600 to $100. They also weren't as price restrictive and they accepted whatever amount the client was willing or able to pay. Now the Jane Collective also learned how to perform pap smears and found a lab that was willing to read these results for $4. The drop in prices resulted in more in low-income clients as well as more women of color. One woman was Lois, a black woman, who I wish I could find out more about but I can't seem to find anything about her. But Lois criticized the group when she came to them for an abortion because of their lack of diversity, as they were nearly all white and middle class. She's quoted as saying, quote, you guys are the white angels that are going to save everybody, and where are the black women at? So at this point, Lois decided to join the collective to help counsel its black patients. And overall, the women learned several methods, such as the canula method for early stage abortions, the supercoil method used in later stage abortions, which caused the women to miscarry, but the most widely one that was used was the dilation and curettage DNC method. 
At first, it was rumored that the police would intentionally turn a blind eye to the collective's illegal activities because it seemed that the unwanted pregnancies and resulting abortions also occurred in their families. Some of their clients were from families of the police or were even police women themselves. One of the women who was trained to perform abortions noted, quote, neither the Chicago PD nor the mafia had previously bothered us, though each knew of our work. We were clean, damn good, and made too little money to interest them. It was also noted that, quote, unlike other illegal abortionists, Jane did not leave bleeding bodies in motels for the police to deal with, which could explain the years of why the Chicago police didn't get involved in the Jane Collective's activities. Because that was also something, was a lot of the times the mafia would take advantage of, because of course they would, the mafia took advantage of this, they took advantage of women searching for abortions and would perform these back alley abortions that would oftentimes leave women either dying or bleeding out in motel rooms because they would just kind of hire someone to go through and do it because they knew that women were desperate for this treatment and it wouldn't really provide any patient care that wouldn't be safe for the women involved and they were just in it for money whereas the Jane Collective was not in it for money and it didn't leave these bodies so the police were able to kind of turn a blind eye at the time but in 1972 two Catholic women went to the police to report that their sister-in-law was planning on having an abortion. Two police officers arrived at one of the apartments the collective owned and asked, quote, where's the doctor? And they were looking for a man. It was at this point that seven of the women working for Jane were arrested and charged with 11 counts of abortion and conspiracy to commit abortion. They became known as the Abortion Seven. And while in the police van, one woman removed a stack of cards from her purse that had the contact information of their patients. The woman then ripped the names and addresses off the cards and swallowed them to protect the information. I wish it named what woman did that. Maybe it does in the documentary, which I really want to watch it now. It's badass woman being badass, right? So it's like that part's cool, but it's just the fact that this is something that's like, okay, like take notes. This might be something we have to do again, which it just, it like snaps me out of it. It snaps me out of just like, oh yeah, I'd really admire these women too. Oh crap. Like there are going to be these women again. Like, I don't know. Maybe the Jane Collective will be active again. Amazing woman swallowed the information so that they couldn't get used against her or couldn't face criminal charges. And now each woman, each of the seven women faced up to 110 years in prison for their actions. Now, one of the women was Jan Galatzer-Levy, and she said that, quote, there were all kinds of class and race things going on with the police. They felt more like us than the women they were supposedly protecting from us, and they kind of wanted that relationship. So that was bizarre, just bizarre, because apparently the police treated them, the abortionists, better than they treated the patients who were being arrested. The seven were released on bail and hired an attorney, Joe Ann Wolfson. Now, Wolfson quote really wanted the case because she was a woman and thought a woman should handle the case which honestly in my personal opinion I agree she pursued a legal strategy of delaying the proceedings for as long as possible because the Supreme Court was currently deciding the Roe v Wade case in 1973, Roe v. Wade was decided, which struck down many abortion restrictions, and all of the charges against the abortion seven were dismissed, and they were also not charged with practicing without a license in exchange for not requesting the return of their medical inst 
instruments. Uh, the Jane Collective disbanded after abortion was legalized, but interestingly enough, not a lot of the Jane Collective agreed with Roe v. Wade. So one of the women, Laura Kaplan, said it was, quote, written emphatically in terms of physicians' rights, not women's rights. According to her, illegal abor- abortion with women helping women was supplanted by a process in which men would be in charge of women's bodies once again. Linnea Johnson said, quote, what we did was remand women back into the realm of male law, male custom, medical custody. In the seven years that the group existed, they performed an estimated 11,000 abortions. There were no reports of abortion-related death as a result of their work. It was noted that one of the members, Martha Scott, said that some of their patients ended up having to go to the emergency room afterwards, while others had to undergo hysterectomies. One obstetrician who provided follow-up visits for the collective's patients stated that their safety rate was comparable to legally operating clinics in New York. The story of the Jane Collective has been called a motivational call to arms, which is a part of the reason why I'm reading it now. Okay, so I was able to find a video interview or a clip of an interview of Heather Booth. It's posted on the Jezebel, and the headline is, Founder of the Jane Collective is horrified but not shocked. So she's quoted as saying that, I was horrified but not shocked. Horrified because it means that women's lives will be put in jeopardy. It means that there are women without resources, probably particularly women of color, who will not have options, and poor women, and particularly women without family supports. It's certainly against the promise of this country and against freedoms that we've worked so hard for and still need to work for, but we can make a difference and we can make a future. Part of what will undermine our ability to have this future is people who are so discouraged. We need to turn our anger into action because it's when you don't take action that you feel this hopeless, helpless, and become victims. But we are not victims. We are actually heroes of our own story. So honestly, I feel like that's a perfect way to end this episode. I think that's a good note to end on for this podcast. I would love to know what your guys' opinions are. Let me know what you think in either social media. Find me on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram at Frumius Reads. F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S. Or you can comment uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Just leave a comment saying what you think uh, this podcast is streaming on basically every podcast site, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Libsyn, Google Play, anywhere and everywhere. If you like this podcast, make sure you follow or subscribe, like I said, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I hope everyone out there is doing okay. But that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye.